Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everyone, how's it going? Uh, Welcome to another Quarantino episode of uh, Double Feature, where we got a double to Del Toro, double to big budget action nonsense. Brad, how's it going? Going good, but we definitely have more than double going on today, because we're going through five movies? (laughs) Yeah, so there's two sides to Mr. Guillermo Del Toro. There's the uh, independent side, and then there's the mainstream Hollywood side. Uh, we're covering the mainstream Hollywood side. Except for Blade uh, 2, which we already covered previous episode. Right, right, right. Did you want to factor that, in, factor that in towards the end when we compare all of them or just leave it out? Um, When we compare them all at the end, we can factor that one in, I think. That's a fair one to okay. add in. You want to do chrono- chrono- chronologically? or? Uh, yeah, let's start from the beginning of his kind of Hollywooded career. Hollywooded. I like that. Hollywooded. Uh yeah, man. Yeah, we gotta we gotta start with this first one that's uh very problematic to me. Um Mimic. Oh, you didn't like it? Dude it, Okay, okay. Uh, how, where do I start? Okay, this, I, I wanna hear uh, this one. So, you know, he made this film for um I believe it was Merrimax. And uh, the the Weinstein's were the producers of this film. However, um, it didn't seem like this was a Del Toro movie. It didn't feel like it had Del Toro control. It it, it didn't feel like it had filmmakers a filmmaker's vision to it. It felt like the studio edited it, and the studio took control to the point where behind the scenes, Del Toro himself says, "Yeah, I don't I don't claim that movie." See, I think the monster elements do have the Del Toro feel to them. And I I think those are the ones that I like the most. Uh, The use of practical effects in this one. I'm a sucker for old cheesy horror movies, though. I am, too, when done right. See, I... Okay, I'll say that this one wasn't fully done right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, it has its moments that you just love. Like uh, one scene that I still absolutely love is in the subway with the one lady kind of going, sir, do you have the time? Sir, sir. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it just turns to her and she's like, oh, nope, I'm getting out of here. And it like unfurls the wings like it was wearing a trench coat and just goes right after her and then just drags her right through the subway. It's like, oh, I love this movie. <laughs> this is yeah, amazing. Those, those moments are touch and go with me, depending on what the, the atmosphere is. Um, let's 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 uh, give a brief synopsis. So, this is a film where um, there were there are cockroaches uh, that were spreading a, a deadly strickler, strickler's disease. Um, it, it was a disease uh, that was only killing children, if I recall correctly. Right. Or it was um, super contagious to children, at the very least. Mira Sorvino's character, um, Dr. Susan Tyler, uh, she uses genetic engineering to create a Judas breed, 
which is a hybrid between a mantis and a termite, uh, which, you know, accelerates the roaches metabolism uh, that that kind of makes them starve off. So um, she does this with another doctor. They fall in love uh, and they feel like, OK, we saved the day uh, three years later. I believe it was three years later. Um, the the Judas breed they created has turned into a monster and is killing off people. It's pretty well, much it uh, evolved. That's what it happened. It evolved. It evolved because if I recall correctly, it was supposed to be all female and with the higher metabolism, they should have like all died within, I think, three months or something like that, they said. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember how long into or how long it was after they first introduced them. I, three years sounds right, but I do not remember for sure. And it, it just they found traces of uh, a bigger kind of cockroach in the sewer systems in large quantities. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's the cheesy Hollywood of it. Um, the practical effects I absolutely loved. The effects were good. The effects were good for its time. Um, listen, man, I still think they hold up now. Some of them, the practical effects parts, I think still kind of hold up now debatable uh, nah debatable um look man this is a tel del toro film in some aspects you know especially with the characters you have you got the priest you got the um um peculiar child i think the child is on the spectrum um you know the child that the, the priest is caring for yeah uh you know and you got you got monsters you know we all know del toro loves monsters and um like many of his films it ends in a tunnel you notice that a lot of his a lot of his films end in a showdown underground or in a tunnel. Mimic, with the exception Blade. of some movies. Yeah, I Hellboy think Pacific War. Rim is the only like Hollywooded movie that we're going to be talking about today that doesn't end in a tunnel. <laughs> Crimson Peak doesn't end in a tunnel either. No, because it has the underground parts at least. I guess it doesn't end. It in does, a tunnel. but it doesn't end there. Like, yeah, I guess. Listen, man, I I just think. With to me, this film has some enjoyable moments for sure, but it's like everything else just fell flat. Like the acting was wooden. Like I've seen Mira Savino in better roles. Um, Josh Brolin was kind of just there. Um, the only guy that had character was Charles S. Dutton, the security guard who was with them. You know, he he had a little bit of character to him. You know, he did, and he even had like a valiant death in the end too. Right. Like, he had that little strange thing where he sings songs to get over his anxiety. Like, yep. that was a peculiar, like, little, like, Del Toro kind of character thing. But everyone else was just kind of like, everyone else is part of a studio film. This guy feels yeah. like he was part of a movie that could have been greater. Yeah, everybody uh -huh. else was, I am scientist. I am priest. I am. <laughs> All right, then you had the Hollywood ending where um, the homeboy crawls out of the tunnel when you... <laughs> I mean, you knew that was gonna happen like oh he's oh, yeah. not really dead because we didn't see it he crawls out of the tunnel and says we're pregnant it then roll the credits i'm like come on man this is so 90s it, it, it's not it even was, funny but i love cheesy horror movies so i i watched this one with a smile on my face the entire time i gotta say a scene that made me laugh i wasn't supposed to but the scene where the uh the two little uh bad kids who were uh i guess they were like smuggling roaches for the for the doctor oh they, they, yeah in the what was it a cereal box 
Yeah, something like that. They got ate up by the monster. I wasn't supposed to laugh, but I thought that was funny. Did the one get his leg caught in like chicken wire or something like that when it happens? Uh, what'd you say? Doesn't he get his leg caught in like chicken wire or something when it's happening? I don't remember. I thought that's like how he died. Is he? Because it was him and another kid, and they were both uh, down there. I swear, one of them, like, tripped on chicken wire and got his leg stuck, and then that's how he got eaten. Or am I mixing up death scenes? You might be mixing up death scenes. I'm not I'm not sure. I don't... All I remember is that one of the kids got, uh, like, like pulled up and, and was, was eaten uh, while the other one watched, and then the other one got caught, too, I believe. Yeah. Maybe I'm yeah. mixing up death scenes or something like that, because I swear he like got caught in the stupidest way possible and couldn't run away. And it was just like, oh, this is this is cheesy horror. I love it. <laughs> yeah. He like, you know, Del Toro, he has a great visual sense. And, you know, we're going to I'm sure we're going to talk more about that as we go on from this film. Mm-hmm. And the visual sense is here. But this feels so much like a 90s horror film thriller. It doesn't feel to me like a del toro film even though it has del toro elements it does uh even like the entire like idea behind it doesn't feel very del toro uh like roach becomes man starts killing no he would keep it as like a giant cockroach or it would turn into some other creature it wouldn't turn into human sociopath right I, I I agree. Like I I like the concept of like it it starts mimicking humans as its biggest prey, but it, it doesn't feel Del Toro. Del Toro would have took it in a wholly different direction if he had full creative control over this one. I feel. Your boy was in this movie. Uh, Norman Reedus. This was his Hollywood debut. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that he was in this one until we spoke about it last week. I think, and when we were speaking about Blade Two. So, yeah. yeah, it, and he is not the Norman Reedus you know from The Walking Dead in this one either. He's not. He was. He was a. He was a young lad. Yeah, yeah. This is like beginning, beginning of his career. This is gonna be like the uh, if he goes on to do bigger movies after The Walking Dead, this is gonna be one of the things that's in the clip show <laughs> that everybody will present at the awards. Probably. But I don't think there's really too much more to say about this one. It's a cheesy horror movie. It, it doesn't really feel as Del Toro as his other works. And you can tell that it was his first foray into doing something that was aimed more toward Hollywood and general audiences. And I think it was his second movie overall that got a uh, theatrical release. Um, At this point? Yeah. Well, I don't know if Kronos, the film that came before this, I think Kronos was like an international release because he he had filmed that in, in his hometown of Mexico. Yeah. And um, first film, and Ron Perlman was in that one too. And I think that got an international release too, Kronos. Okay, so yeah, this was the second one to get like a theatrical release because I know he did a couple like yeah. short film kind of things before this, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So... But, uh, yeah, there's really not too much to say about this one. In terms of Del Toro, it's the least it's, Del Toro movie. It's a dud to me, man. It, it's a dud. It, it has its moments for me. 
Uh, but that's because I just love the cheesy horror movies. That That's the only saving grace of this one is I love those cheesy horror movies, not because they're good, but because they're not so good. Yeah, I, I just I, I couldn't. I, I stuck it in with it. And, um, you know, some it was up and down, but mostly down for me. But I understand where you're coming from. I get it. It's just it's, it's, it's that time period for you. I get it. Yeah. So next on the list, do you want to start this one off? Uh, Hellboy. Classic, man. Uh, movie that comes from uh, my childhood and I'm sure yours, too. Oh, 100%. Um, Okay, so rundown. You know, Hellboy is um, he's a comic book character from. It's a dark horse comics comic book character. Uh, I believe um, the story goes. You know, he has horns that he likes to chop down, and uh, he works with the FBI on a uh, taking down BRPD. monsters from hell. BRPD. Uh, he er, works no. with them. What is it? The BPRD, the the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. Yep, that's what it is. He works with them on taking down monsters and things that go bump in the night, so to say. Um, uh, he's red, has a tail, and he looks like Ron Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> because he is Ron Perlman. <laughs> right. Um, I, I swear, Ron Perlman just dipped himself in red paint and was like, okay, suit done, let's go. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's let's be let's be fair to guys up. Uh, look, there was some special effects here. You know, he he don't just straight up look oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I would hope not. Uh, yeah, man, this is, this is a good movie, man. Um, it's, it's it's a it's a classic. Um, I gotta say, rewatching it today, the things that hold up, you know, Ron Perlman's performance again, Dale Toro's visuals, um. Some of it comes off 2008-ish, uh, 2004-ish, which, which it was uh, released in. Some of this film is dated, and, you know, I, I still enjoyed it for the most part, but some of it was kind of... It, it, you got to keep in mind, this came out around the same time as the original Spider-Man. And yeah, I know. So I know. it is is a little bit on the dated side back when, you know, doing a comic book movie wasn't a big thing. Uh, not only that, but it follows the characters from the comic books pretty, you know, well. I don't know if you've ever read any of the Hellboy comics or any oh. of the BPRD comics or anything like that that are still going on. Because the comics have completely disregarded Hellboy altogether. It's pretty much just on the Bureau now for the current comic line. I I, I understand. I and Look, all that is fine. I, I get all that. Um... I don't, you know, I'm not always, I don't really care that much unless I'm a fan of the comic if a movie follows, like, the comic book's origin story to the T, as long as the movie is good. Well, I'm not I'm, saying, like, the origin story and the story itself. I'm saying, like, the characters. Like, the characters oh, okay. were ingrained in the comics, and they took those characters and brought them right to the movie, and that's that's a big deal. You know, that really helps bring the world together and everything like that. So the hardest part for Del Toro and why some of the characters don't feel very Del Toro is because they are from the comics perspective. Oh, no, I never said the characters weren't Del Toro. Um, I think this is still a Del Toro project. Uh, it's just that. Um, <laughs> let me break it down this way. So this film has a balance of action and comedy. 
and the comedy works well. Like I said, Ron Perlman, you know, he's he's great in this role. He really owns the Hellboy character with his quips, you know, his mannerisms. He's 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 really solid. Just like we said about Wesley as Blade. Mm-hmm. Wesley had the Blade character down packed. Um there are times where and, and this is a thing in most Del Toro Hollywood films that kind of make me cringe. I the quirkiness was a bit much in some places. Like what what quirkiness? <laughs> so um there's the thing where like, you know, you got this main character who kind of represents the standpoint of the audience, like this guy who who's just joining the bureau. Um what was his name? Uh, uh What's his name? John Myers? Myers. Yeah, yeah. I remember Myers. Myers at the very least. I think his name was John Myers. So John Myers had, was joining the Bureau. Uh, he was meeting uh, Hellboy. You know, he was meeting um, Ape uh, Sapien. the Fishman. Ape Sapien. I love Ape Sapien. Um, meeting Liz. And, you know, he, he kind of had an all shucks personality about him and i get it when you got the protagonist like well hellboy is the protagonist but when you got a protagonist foil like that sometimes they can be like that but it's like i don't know it's just the quirkiness of like you go from being this from destroying this evil monster going against this this nazi um one of one of the best villains of all time to do with the glasses that would that that would turn the thing on his chest and have the knives yep you know, you got all you got these. These are serious villains here, and you know you got the comedy, and then you switch it up to uh, John Myers is trying to look out for Hellboy, trying to get him back with Liz, but then he's coming on the Liz, and I'm like, this is, and then Hellboy's on the roof with the little boy talking about like, yeah, he's trying to steal my girl. I'm like, this is so 2004. Let's get back to the plot. Like, come on. I, I did like the idea of Hellboy talking to a kid in on the roof of. You gonna finish that cookie? No. And then he just grabs it and just. <laughs> there, there, right. There's the comedy of that one of you're seven. Why am I listening to you? <laughs> and right, it, fair it, enough. It has those moments that I kind of like. And but Hellboy overall, I, I still love the movie. Even rewatching it, I still loved it. And it, it still has its cheesy little comedy moments. Like I want to say the basket of kittens was in this one. In the first one? Uh, wait, I mean, I, there was just one kitten, wasn't it? Because he was trying to save a kitten for a lady because they were in the train station. Uh, yeah. It, no, it was a basket of kittens. Um, Don't remember. Maybe it was just one kitten in the basket, but I remember him, like, fighting the creature while holding this one, the basket. Yeah, that was and, one kitten. It was oh, it one was kitten. just one? Okay. Yeah. And it's just that cheesy comedy aspect of it and i love it that scene is fine that scene is fine like that that's 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 a great scene um it's just like some of the and it's hard to pinpoint it's like some scenes in this film like really are like very well made um like like the whole thing is well made but i mean like as far as the execution and pacing like i like the scene where ape sapien rewinds time and we show how they came to that museum and that they were the ones that killed the guards not the monster they just let the oh, monster yeah. free i like the scene where um the the evil uh villain with the swords uh killed hellboy's father like i feel like that was a very effective uh emotional scene you know like the the, the film has beautiful poetic moments such as a del toro film has but 
a lot of it is kind of like bogged down with mainstream. And, it, and like I said, this is kind of Del Toro's sense of humor, too. Like, you know, quirkiness. I, I 100% agree with that. It it definitely has some amazing moments. There's a great character development for Hellboy, especially with him and his father, because throughout the entire definitely. thing, you can tell that, you know, they have this back and forth with each other, but they both care about each other at the same he's time. Le- and he's learning how to be a man, too. That's kind of yes. like the theme of the movie. Yeah, yeah, of course. It, I, the theme of yeah. this one is definitely a lot heavier handed than the theme of the second movie when it comes to like Hellboy, his character arc, and the character arcs of everybody around him. Oh, man. I, okay, we're going to disagree with the second one, but we'll get there later. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, Hellboy, yeah, man, it, it, it does have like the one thing you can say that Toro's films don't have is imagination and character. He cares about the visuals and he cares about the character development. He never slags on either of those two things. Oh yeah. Like the design of the monsters. I absolutely loved it. Uh, the guy with the, uh, clockwork kind of chest piece. I loved it. And there, there's so much that they get right. Like even Hellboy's look is, you know, you can tell he's from another world kind of thing. It just feels like he popped out. It doesn't feel fake, and it's the use of practical effects really helps with that as well. Yeah. One thing I, yeah. Um, one thing I didn't know, I didn't know that Doug Jones, who played the amphibian in Shape of Water, played a uh, ape sapien in this film. Yep. Uh, uh, and every lanky character in Del Toro's movies is Doug. Uh, what's his last name? Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Uh, yeah, because I know I know he's um I know he's the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. I know that. Um, yeah, I want to say he had another role in this. No, I think it was in the second movie where he plays another character as well. Well, uh, okay, we'll look it up. Uh, David Hyde Pierce, however, voiced Ape Sapien in this film. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Selma Blair. I mean, we'll talk about her later with the second one, but um, she's she's adorable in the second film. In this film, you know, I I didn't really care for Liz that much, but like in the second film, I feel like they they flesh her character out more as far as her and Hellboy's relationship, and they got a great dynamic. Yeah, she definitely. Her only scenes in this one are basically when she's in the hospital, and then toward the end of the movie. When they're in uh, the sewer system, as you mentioned before, right? Uh, that's or were they in the subway? One of the two. And uh, I think they were in a tunnel. They were in a tunnel of some sort. Yeah, but um, those are really the only two scenes that she has anything. Uh, even the scene where she's like a prominent focus when Hellboy's kind of watching her and everything like that with Myers, she's not really, she doesn't have any dialogue or anything. She's just kind of in the background. Uh, She's kind of just there as the love interest for Hellboy that kind of sparks Hellboy's kind of anger a little bit. Yeah. She doesn't really have too much else going for her in this movie. It isn't until the next movie that she actually has, you know, more than five lines of dialogue. (laughs) I, I completely agree. So, do we want to jump into the next one? 
yeah, I mean, uh, just wrapping it up, uh, still a solid movie, you know, um, looking back on it today. Yeah, we, we've been spoiled with a lot of action films that have come out since then, but, uh, for, uh, for its time and it, it was, it was a good movie, man. Solid movie. It, it stands up, uh, for the most part. I, I still enjoy this movie a lot. I, I definitely like it more than the second one. I'll start off with that. But it's I, I I know we're gonna disagree on that one. But yeah, you're bugging on that one. But yeah, let's <laughs> let, go ahead. But it, it is a classic comic book movie. It has the same faults that early classic comic book movies kind of have, especially in the early 2000s, where it was still kind of a newish thing. You know, beyond Superman. Yeah. Uh, at the time when this came out, Superman and Spider Man were the only comic book movies that were seen as successful i think it wasn't x-men wasn't really seen as successful until the second one and then dark knight is when the batman trilogy really got its footing too so both of those came after this movie so i want to say it was only spider-man 2002 and then the previous superman trilogy that was making it seen that comic book movies were a viable thing Okay, I hear you. I hear you. So it still has um, those early comic book movie kind of like issues, but I still enjoy it. I like it. You know, there, there's not, something about watching a giant demon fighting other demons with a fish man. <laughs> right, right. I still like it. You know, it's just I um prefer the second one better. So uh, we're going we're going to hop into uh, Hellboy Two: The Golden Army. Um, so basically, um, this time around, and I'm gonna explain why I like this one better. Um, so we got Hellboy, Hellboy and Liz are together. You know, they they're still in the bureau. Um, them ape sapien, um, the agent that was like kind of like the foil for the audience in the first film isn't in this one. Yeah, um, he was sent to Antarctica. Oh well, there you go. Sent to Antarctica. Yeah, they explain it at the beginning of the movie. It's like, well, you're the one that got jealous of John, so you sent him to my Antarctica, and it's like, damn it, I liked John. <laughs> it makes sense though. It seems like that's something Hellboy would do. It, it yeah, does feel like something Hellboy would do, but it kind of like you miss out on having that every man because we don't get that perspective in this movie. Right, right. Uh, well, Hellboy's the every man now, this time around. Um, so in this film, he is going up against, um, the golden army, which is, um, I believe elves, yep. uh, ancient, ancient elves. Uh, one of the elves is a prince that, uh, goes against his father, the king in order to, uh, bring rule back to earth and have the elves rule the humans, um, pretty much. And, uh, he needs three parts of a crown in order to rule. And his sister who doesn't, who isn't going along with the plan has the other part of the crown. Um, now, the, the reason I love this film, I feel like now this is a classical Del Toro film to me because it, it, it has the, the mythology set design as always is gorgeous. Production design is gorgeous. Visual effects, the costume design. Um, again, character development, you know, Hellboys is, is about to become a father. You know, he's, he's learned to grow up a little bit, but still has his childish ways. And, you know, through Liz, he, he learns to mature even more than he matured through the first film. Um, 
and the fight scenes and the pacing. I think everything that I had a problem with in the first film, it resolved by this by the time this film came around. Like there was still a balance of the action and comedy. Um, I ain't a big fan of the whole little ballad scene where they're singing that song, but I, I get it and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think this film expanded on everything that the first film w- was was aiming for. See, I I do enjoy this film. I, I'm not going to mm. say by any means that I hate this film or that I didn't like watching this film. I still think the first one's better than it. But at the same time, this one does have a lot of great uh, scenes and kind of world building along with it. Like the entire yeah. scene in the, what was it, the troll market? I absolutely love that. You got pure del Toro design and costume effects right throughout that entire scene. And it lasts a while. It's not like a quick come and go kind of scene. It it, yeah. it actually has some moments where you see the characters interact with different people. Uh, there's some comedy thrown in with, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the, the, the baby. <laughs> I'm not a baby. I'm a tumor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even with the canary and the trolls, because uh, right. trolls are terrified of birds, and yeah. it, it just there's little bits of comedy with it, um, especially when Hellboy is. So you're not going to talk. There's nothing that'll make you talk, and then he, he just punches smacking. them across the room, and right. everybody's like, "Why'd you do that? He wasn't going to talk." And it it's yeah, those I- classic lines I love that show like the character of Hellboy and he's very cut and dry when it comes to what he will do. You know, if there's a near, no, I was going to say there's a near perfect balance of quirkiness and seriousness in this film. Like, um, and you know, working within a PG 13 film, Del Toro, you could tell he really pushed the limitations with, um, you know, how gory he could get. Like, you know, when you got the scene where there's like the uh, the flesh eating um, insects or bugs. Oh, the tooth uh, fairies. Yeah, the tooth fairies. Like that was that was a pretty gory scene for a PG-13 film, but it plays it off well and keeps it like, you know, a very um, intense. You know, like it's, it's a it's a it's an effective ed- edge of your seat uh, sequence. There is, especially when they're going through the auction house, like after the tooth fairies have been let loose and they start scrambling on the people and you're watching them just completely obliterate some people. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. It it does have like that tension and thriller kind of aspect to it. Although the movie isn't a thriller, it does have a couple scenes that kind of put you in that place. Uh, And you know, even the scene with what was the giant plant? Uh, I started out as like the jumping bean until it hit water and it was in the middle of the streets of New York City. And I'm trying to remember what it was exactly. It was just a giant plant, wasn't it? Uh, you, you're talking about the giant man. At the, uh, you t- you're talking about towards the end, they had to go into the giant man that was like laying down and it was like a full night. It was like. No, the, the, I'm not talking oh, about okay. the climax. I'm talking about after he kills the dude with the chain arm and they leave the troll market and they run into the prince and he pulls out the box with the little green bean and he throws it and it falls oh, into the right. sewer. No, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that moment, I, I enjoyed that moment because it got some nice little 
action in it. There was that kind of tension of, you know, what's going to happen and everything. Because it's destroying everything around. And then all of a sudden, Hellboy's carrying a baby, much like the kitten in the basket from the previous movie. Right, As right. he's fighting this thing. And uh, I just love how at the end, they're like, he tried to steal that baby. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, the humor, uh, as quirky as it is or as actually funny as it is, it works in this one. Um, Selma Blair, though, man, like Liz is way more secured as a character in this film. And I think, you know, Selma Blair is adorable in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she definitely has more of a kind of character in this movie. Uh, You see it throughout when... You know, she's talking with Hellboy when she has her, like, little fights with him when they're in his vault or room, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it, Even when she's talking with other characters, she has more personality in this movie than she did in the first movie by a landslide. You know, there's more to her character than, I have fire powers and I'm scared of things. You know, she actually has some you know, defensible quirks to her in this one. Uh, especially when her and Hellboy are fighting in the, about her needing some space in his like room. Yeah. You know, toothbrush. Hold on. It's, uh, it's right there. <laughs> right, right, right. I, uh, I like her in this one. Um, Abe, Abe Sapien wasn't bad. Yeah, this is uh, I feel like everything that was lacking uh, in the first one for me. Um, oh, dude, Johan Krauss, he was a great character, man. I really liked him. Who um, was, he, he was? Um, he, he was the guy in the uh, in the underwater outfit that had the smoke inside. Yeah, um, I'm trying to Seth remember Mc- what he was. He was like a phantom or a spirit of some kind. Yeah, Seth MacFarlane played him. I didn't know that. He he voiced him. Yeah, he was he, he was a fun character, especially the locker room scene with him like and the Hellboy. The locker room fight. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was a perfect foil to to Hellboy, man. I really I really enjoyed him. So, yeah, he was definitely kind of a fun one. I wouldn't mind seeing a spin-off film with those characters together. I I I want to see a BPRD uh kind of movie even if it doesn't focus on hellboy i want to see a bprd movie because they've already shown in the comics they can do it without hellboy and there's plenty of other characters in that universe I mean, to mess with he, he is the bprd isn't he who hellboy yeah i mean like he kinda, no, he's just I, I know, one of the people within I, it i know he's one of them but like he basically is the the dude right uh, not really. They have a lot of other characters in the comics that never hit the movies. Hmm. So it's if you like the idea of like the whole fighting monsters in the real world to try and keep humanity safe kind of thing, almost like a men in black kind of perspective, right. it, the comics are wholly where you should go and start reading after watching these movies. Uh, they are still fun. They have the same fun kind of quirkiness, the little bit of gore to them. They're definitely not made for kid kind of comics. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Sorry about that hand. That's my fiance. Uh, but um, yeah, I 
I agree with you. Uh, what did you feel about the whole little love dynamic between the ape sapien and the uh, the the elf princess? Uh, I didn't care for it, but I also think it was a little bit rushed in. I didn't uh, care for it either. Yeah. Even the love dynamic at the end with uh, Liz and Hellboy just kind of felt a little bit off when they went to revive him after he got the spear pretty much like right in his heart. Oh, right. Yeah. And she's like, you know, he was made to kill humanity and blah, blah, blah. So reviving him is just sealing the doom of humanity. And she's just like, I don't care. I love him. And it's like, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you know, these kind of films kind of require that kind of sappiness. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what time it is. Um, but her reaction, I think it could have been toned down a little bit of, you know, we'll more, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but right now right. we need him and less, but, but, but I, I, I love him. I agree. I agree. You know, it's still a 2008 movie. It, it is. It's definitely still a 2008 <laughs> you know, movie. It's still 2008. Uh, but there's improvements. Yeah, I, I like this movie, man. I I, 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 uh, I liked it better than the first one. I understand why you like the first one more, but uh, I, I enjoyed this one uh, slightly better. See, there's scenes of this one, like the whole troll market. Absolutely love that entire scene. I kind of like how they explain things to the new or to the director of the BPRD who doesn't understand like anything but still yeah. goes along with them. Uh who was the skeleton that uh Hellboy resurrects and carries on his back with the rope? That was in the first one. That was in the first one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, that's right. Yep, never mind. I'm getting the two mixed up for a scene. But yeah, and he and he he died instantly as soon as we as soon as they got on that bridge he, he fell off. Yeah, well, yeah, he hands him to the other agent and then they both die. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's I've got to say the weakest part of the second movie to me is the climax. It, it just doesn't feel very tense as the first one because you have the yeah. one person that. They're like, well, you can't hurt him because if you hurt him, you also hurt the sister. And you have the sister kind of standing there. And the entire time, I'm like, okay, they're definitely, she's going to end up killing herself to kill him. And even the first time I saw it, it was just like, that's going to happen. It's the only way that this can happen with this kind of setup. That's usually how it goes, yeah. So, um, yeah. Not only that, but the entire time they're like, the Golden Army is like this undefeatable army. And he got all the pieces of the crown. And then the climax is still a punching match between him and Hellboy until his sister kills herself and he dies with her. Mm. You know, it, it just felt like they were leading up to such a big kind of climax with that, you know, Golden Army and getting to see Hellboy and Liz kind of go like full force on it because we got to see that liz has a lot of power we get to see that hellboy has a lot of power but you know the only thing that was stopping hellboy from defeating the prince prior was that he didn't want to hurt him to hurt his sister yeah so it's definitely you know a weak climax to this one in my opinion I mean, it uh, it had a nice 
nice final fight. Um, but yeah, the climax was just I, right. you know, it's kind of just random. End up in this random place, and um, they talk to somebody uh, that's trying to trade for something. Like, uh, let me have that spare. You take it out, you're going to hurt him. Uh, I know someone that can take it out and and not hurt him. And then they go to this kind of like witch, right? Or an angel of death, maybe. And I, I want to say Doug Jones played that angel of death as well as he the Sapien. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, it's kind of, the ending's, I got to admit, the ending's a little random. Um, but, you know, it's an ending. I, to me, it was just a letdown. Like, there was so much prep toward, like, he got the crown. He's nigh invincible now. Oh, his sister killed him herself, so now he's dead. You know, and prior to that, it's just him and Hellboy having this punching match where there's really nothing happening. You know, it, yeah. it just, it's such a letdown of an ending to me. Yeah, I, um, I feel like this film, um, what you can speak to Del Toro is that he he's a storyteller at heart. Some of his films even have stories within the stories, like the beginning when um, Hellboy's father is telling him the story of the Golden Army, which, you know, this film yep. is called Hellboy 2, the Golden Army. You know, you can tell Guillermo Del Toro respects the art of storytelling, of telling a good story. So this is, um, you know, with the exception of that ending, mostly this is a good story. You know, this is a good follow-up story sequel. Yeah, I can definitely... It's a good follow-up to it, but it just... I still like the first one more. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly. Like, if I had an hour to go through each movie individually, I think I could pinpoint exactly what parts kind of show that I like the first one more. But just overall, I enjoyed it more than this one. And I think one of the biggest parts is this one, the climax just is so dull to me. Yeah. It's like a great, a uh, uh, great left hook though. Not great left hook, but a great um, final, final moment though. It's just like, uh, Oh, we're having twins. We're having twins. And then, you know, it plays that uh, that cheesy song that they were singing earlier. Oh, um, yeah. I feel like that's a nice final moment. It's a nice moment to drop it off. You know, you retire, you got kids, you know, again, becoming a man, like like the theme of the first film. Because um, I really think it's just about Hellboy becoming a man. Like, you go from being a Hellboy to a, a Hell man. So, yeah, I, I, I think... Can... I can kind of see where you're going with that one and everything like that. And it was definitely a good closing out for the Hellboy movies, especially since it didn't get a third and no further Hellboy movies were ever made after that point. He was playing a third film. He did want to do a third film. I can't remember what stopped him. I think it was just the box office didn't bring in anything for uh, Golden Army or close to what they were expecting. Probably so. I didn't look into it. Um, but overall, I think it's a very solid movie. I think it's a great sequel and that it builds upon the first film. And I think, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. It's it's not the worst of Del Toro's movies by a landslide. Oh, it, definitely not. It definitely grits some things that the first one was missing it definitely ups ante on those but then it just kind of falters on other things to me yep uh i'll let you start off the next one so next one pacific rim 
Yes, sir. So this one, I know we're 100% going to disagree on this one, and I do not care. Uh, this, I think, is the best of the movies that we are talking about today. <laughs> Oh, oh no! Oh yeah, no, yeah. I I no. love me some good old robots fighting kaiju's. Uh, it's heavily I don't based mind a kaiju on movie. Huh? I said I don't mind a kaiju movie. Oh yeah, I I'm in a whole different area of loving these movies. Apparently though, because I'll admit the second one not so much, but this one at the very least, I absolutely love it. Uh, the good characters that you have throughout the movie, everybody kind of has a unique feeling to them, even though they kind of all have to fall into the same like fighting robot. Uh, I, I wish there was more variety in the robots in this one, which we sadly get in the second one, but just not done well, because every robot kind of almost feels the same in this one. Um, yeah, you know, uh, so basically... Uh, colossal sea monsters, kajus, um, you know, threatened to uh, destroy uh, planet Earth. And, you know, um, a group of uh, army, well, not army people, but a group of soldiers uh, uh, strap into these giant robots that fight the aliens. That's pretty much the plot of this movie. Uh, um, it's not even soldiers. It's di- every country kind of has their own, uh, you know, robot that they use to... I'm trying to remember what they're called. Jaegers? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And they're Jaegers. Yeah. Each country has their own, basically. So the U.S. has the Gypsy, um, or Gypsy Danger, that's what it's called. And they go through just the trying to, like, stop these monsters in any way possible and they just keep continually coming out of the ocean. They have no idea where they're coming from or anything like that. Just that they're coming out of the ocean and they're destroying cities and major populated areas. So they try building walls. That doesn't work. They try fighting it with nukes. It kind of works, but then it stops working. And they eventually land on, we need to gi- build giant robots. And yep. I, I love it 100%. <laughs> Look, I'll um I'll I'll discuss the good. I think this film um a great premise behind by the way a uh, great premise. I like how it's an homage to kaiju films and um you know anime and all that. It, it's a very enjoyable film. I I I can't say there was a scene where I wasn't entertained. Um, but it's by the numbers. It's a by the numbers action film. Like it's it's a Del Toro movie that we got Ron Perlman again in another unforgettable role. Uh, Hannibal, what was his name? Uh, Hannibal Klaus. Yeah, I'll be I honest. I Klaus. don't remember the names of any of the people. I remember the names of the robots. <laughs> Hannibal Chow. Uh, he's basically a black marketer of uh, these aliens, um, their their organs and such. Uh, and you know it's a it's a it's a flashy uh, larger than life performance. You yep. know we got a uh, Charlie Hunnam as the as the protagonist. You know um, the uh, you know former pilot whose brother dies in the uh, towards the beginning, and you know he's trying to redeem himself. He's a very solid protagonist. You got Aegis Elba as the marshal. You know uh, stuck up. You know fierce, strong. You got Rinko uh, Kikuchi as Mako Mori as you know kind of like his. Idris Elba's daughter surrogate in the film and you know she's she wants to go out there and you know kind of grow up and he's kind of holding her back 
Charlie Day is is for levity. You know, he's a scientist that's studying the kaiju. Like er, all the components are right. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like, and this this might come off a bit disrespectful. It's, I'm not trying to disrespect Guillermo, but I felt like if you pitched me, Guillermo del Toro directs a Transformers movie. That's what this is. I I'll one hundred percent take that, and I still love it. <laughs> I, okay, yeah, I right, that's cool. So I'm just, yeah, it's one hundred percent a Hollywood Del Toro movie. I'm not gonna like say that this one has any like deep undertones. It doesn't have anything like I know we'll get to Crimson Peak next, but that's a more like Del Toro feeling movie. This one doesn't feel very Del Toro. It's a very Hollywood movie. It has little bits of Del Toro with the monsters and with, you know, the kind of mystery behind them and trying to solve that mystery. And even a little bit with, you know, kind of giving you little glimpses at where the monsters are actually coming from and everything. That part feels very Del Toro. I like uh, how he makes the the city his his playground in a sense, as you know, you know, the like the the uh, the robots fight the kaiju uh, in and throughout the city. I like that, you know, um, the set design, like I said, his set design has always been on point. The production design has always been on point. Um, but yeah, man. Yeah. This is is a by the numbers action movie. Even if that's what it is, I still absolutely love it. Uh, there's something about watching Charlie day kind of try and run away from, uh, Kaiju monster. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he always says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please, please. I think that's his dialogue from most of this movie. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, he, he's still, it's basically Charlie from It's Always Sunny trying to be a scientist thrown into a monster movie. That, that's Charlie what his from, character is. Charlie from It's Always Sunny ain't that smart. So yeah. let's not confuse the two. <laughs> this is a different Charlie. <laughs> the same kind of like personality though. Just this Charlie went. This Charlie went to college. Yeah, this Charlie went to college, and went he got a school. doctorate in something. Right, <laughs> but he still plays the same kind of like goofy character and everything like that. Um, even when he's the one taking risks to try and like, what was it, brain merge with one of the kaiju in order to, you know, yeah, find out great, more about them. That was a great moment. Yeah, yeah you there, know, there's was, there's yeah. good moments in it that I still absolutely love. There's amazing fights. I love the fights of the robots versus the monsters because they're so like they have that like feeling of, you know, not fast paced. They're kind of slow, but everything feels heavy. Every hit feels like it has impact. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. When I saw this film in theaters, I was geeked up because I like the way that the film like it, I like the way that the, the battle scenes were directed. Um, however, you got to admit, man, most of this film is a whole lot of talking and character backstory and fighting doesn't happen until like towards the end. See, I guess I'm so used to Godzilla movies where that is exactly how it goes. It didn't bother yeah, me. But in it this shouldn't one. be like that though. Let's, let's have a mix. You know what I mean? Yeah. There let's was def- fighting. Yeah. The fighting scenes when they happen are so great that I can forgive like the dialogue heaviness of uh, that surrounds them. And it's not like it's only at the end. We get fights at the beginning. They happen kind of sporadically throughout the story. There is a lot of dialogue, but it's yeah. not like we have fight scene at the beginning, two hours of dialogue, and then 15 minutes of a fight scene at the end. 
You know, there's Fair there's enough. more throughout the movie. It's just not as prominent in the middle as it is toward the end. And I, I enjoy it. But uh, like the okay. creativity of the robots, like putting rockets on like the elbows and the arms to throw punches because, right. you know, they can't get it to go fast enough to hurt the monsters without literally having rockets on it. Uh, it's innovative. It, I, I like that kind of creativity with it. It's more of a realistic kind of approach to how would you bite or build a giant fighting robot? You know, it's not Gundam where everything just moves without any effort or Transformers where you're just like, that can't happen. It, they definitely took a more like physics and logical approach to these, cr- you know, the creatures as well as the robots. And you know I love the designs of the robots. If, if we're talking about doing this in real life, taking the physics and everything into it is fine. If we're talking about entertaining me, give me the Transformers. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just cut to the point, all right? I you you just want to see Optimus Prime fight Megatron. You don't care about... Right. Well, hey, say what you can about those films, but the first film, nothing less than entertaining, though. No. I mean, like it was a mix of fighting, Michael Bay quirkiness, and, you know, serious scenes, you know? And I'm not saying... <laughs> all right, look, I'm going to be careful here. Uh, <laughs> I understand Del Toro was taking this stuff seriously. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, but, you know, me knowing what this film is, is like, all right, let's let's get to the fighting. Let's like, come on. Yeah, I, I definitely I do wish there was more fighting in it and everything like that. But it, when there are the fight scenes, they're just done so spectacularly that you forget about the fact that there was a lot of dialogue in between the last fight scene. Uh, Even like the fights toward the end, the little bit of lore that you get to see with, you know, these things aren't, you know, monsters, they're weapons, you know, they're, you know, meant to come and destroy our planet. So these things can come back and reclaim the planet, you know, and I I love that kind of aspect of thinking that there's, you know, a colony out there that's trying to reclaim the earth and you know they're sending monster weapons out to fight us and every single time they're like how did they kill that one damn it throw nukes on the next one throw it through the portal yeah like yeah like i said mythology is his thing so yeah there's nothing wrong with the premise it's just the execution that kind of throws me off so it's the wordiness the fact that there's not as much fighting in it there's more kind of dialogue I feel like this is more of a prelude than a first film, if that makes sense. I, I don't, I'm not going to watch Uprising. From what I heard, it's not better. It's not. Um, <laughs> I say that right now. I absolutely yeah. love this film. Uprising is not a very good sequel. Yeah, well, with that being said, I just feel like there was a lot of talking, not not as much execution, in my opinion. But there's also a lot of lore that they had to build up. There was a lot of things that they were kind of... Because it's a new world. It's not something that was known by people before. You need to... You need to direct a film like you might not have a sequel. Sometimes you got to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think he kind of planned this one to be a one-off. You know, I don't think he planned for there to be a sequel. Because the sequel has nothing to do with Del Toro. Yeah, I, I think he produced it, um, but yeah. I, I think he was Steven. executive producer on it, which basically means, yeah, we took an idea that you had and we ran with it 
and we had you in mind during it. He didn't actually have anything to do with the actual production. Right, right. Could be, could be. Stephen S. Knight, D. Knight did the second one. I know he made the Daredevil series, and I've heard good things behind that. He made Spartacus, too. Um, so who knows, man? Uh, who knows? So I think he meant to make this one as a one-off, and that's why he kind of tried to pack as much into it as he could, which ended up making it a little bit dialogue-heavy. Yeah. But I, I'm still fine with that part of it. It didn't really bother me too much because the dialogue, at least it's not pointless dialogue. It's kind of them talking about the Jaegers, talking about the history of the war. Uh, there's a little bit of development there with the characters. Uh, Charlie Day's character with the other scientists, I can't remember what his name was. And their kind of banter back and forth is fun. Right. You know, I love this movie, man. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, it's it's a Americanized Godzilla movie and I love it. Much better than that other American Godzilla movie that happened with Matthew Broderick. Say what you will about that movie, man. As cheesy <laughs> as it is, it has action. It has action. Say what Doesn't you will. Doesn't have about any fighting robots. Movie. Right, right, right. Doesn't. It has a fighting Matthew Broderick. That's what we, I yeah. take a Matthew Broderick over over a Charlie Day. <laughs> but yeah it's it, i gotta say i still love this movie backwards and forward uh it was the one that i looked forward to re-watching the most when we decided to kind of go through these five movies by del toro and at the end i still loved it the most out of all of them yeah hellboy 2 was my first watch on this go around you didn't even start with hellboy no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, like, like that was my first time seeing Hellboy 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, overall, um, I enjoyed this film when I saw it in theaters, and it's still entertaining today. Still holds up. Still very nice special effects. I mean, it's only... Um, they only came out, like, what was it, like... like uh, 2014? 2013, yeah, not that long ago. Yeah, like... Yeah, because the sequel came out in 2017, I believe. Yes, it's a solid action film. Yeah. I don't think there's much more for me to say on it. I love this film. I think it's the best of his Hollywooded movies. I semi-like it. So, we we can disagree on that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I know where I stand, and I don't think you can change my mind on this one. I just love kaiju movies, and this one was just, it's peak kaiju movie for me. I hear you on that, and I don't think you're going to change my mind on this next one either. Um, Crimson Peak, man. Uh, so uh, this is uh, 2015. Um, this, is, this, this is classical Del Toro, but with mainstream Hollywood money. Um, this is a... Uh, this is a gothic horror story. So basically, um, an author, an aspiring author, um, after the death of her father, moves to this new um, creepy mansion with her uh, new husband and his uh, creepy sister, uh, a great Jessica Chastain. And uh, from then on, you know, she realizes there are ghosts in the house and she tries to uncover a mystery behind her husband, his him and his sister's secret past and what who what who killed her father, basically. Um, dude, first time watching this movie, man, I, I love this movie. 
See, this was the first time I ever saw this one. I missed it when it was yeah. in theaters, and it just never hit my radar after that. So I, I wouldn't have went to go see it in theaters. I knew it was a Del Toro film, but I'm like, this movie doesn't sound like me. But watching it for the first time yesterday, I'm like, this is, dude, I love this movie. I, I will say it definitely surprised me with it, uh, especially yeah. when I saw like who was in it, like Tom Hiddleston, and we spoke about it before we started the podcast. I can never remember her name. Mia Mia was Wasikowska. Yep, and Charlie Hunnam. They're all perfect. I, I yeah. absolutely love the acting in this movie, and it just it definitely has that creepy tone to it. Uh, I love that the ghosts really aren't there to, like, haunt her or to hurt her or anything like that. They're right. all trying to, like, tell her to get out of the house, like, trying to warn her of what's happening. And I kind of like that idea behind it of, like, the haunted house, but it's really not haunted bad. It's kind it's of, like, haunted in your favor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little deeper than that. Let me tell you something, man. The same reason why you love Pacific Rim is the same reason why I love this movie. It takes Del Toro takes the gothic horror aspect of of, of the story and he uh he plays it straight, man. Like like um and I'm not saying like that because there's no quirky humor or nothing. He just he just takes the gothic horror story, the gothic romance and he plays it straight and the movie is way better off for it. He took the kaju um he took the kaju theme with Pacific Rim and played it straight. That's that's why I love this movie. Like the cinematography, he always has great set design. Like we've said many times, like I've said many times in this episode. But like with this, like capturing that time, I think this is the 19th century. Yeah, um, it's great. He does it well. Like like the costume design for that for that time, like it really is exquisite. You know, the cinematography fitting that time is exquisite. Um, and like how everything is freaking red. Oh the yeah, the blood is red. The, the 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 snow is red. Like well, even that. Not thing, only that, but yeah. the, there's like no colors in this movie except for the main actress who wears like yellow and like kind of brightish colors, and yeah. everything else is like dark and dreary in it, which makes her really stand out. Like I love the use of colors in this movie. Because even when they're, like, in the towns and stuff, everything kind of still seems a little bit dark, but it seems more cheery than when they're at the mansion. And then they go to the mansion, and she's the only, like, brightly colored, like, uh, his sister wears, like, black and dark blue and, you know, these dark Mm. colors. He wears the same dark colors. The mansion is very, like, dark and dreary. I love the scene execution in it. And there's this... Yeah, and there, and there's like this one this one um, place in the middle of the mansion, in the middle of the floor, where either snow or uh, leaves come down from the top. Yes, I, the and, hole and in I, the ceiling. Yeah, and I think that's that's just an amazing like touch added by Del Toro himself. Like, yeah, this film right here, it's um, this is a good movie. Yeah, I I will not try and say this was not a good movie in any sense. I still absolutely love this one. I was very surprised by it, to say the least, because watching it, you know, I didn't expect much going into it. Like, I heard about it in the past, but it just never crossed my radar. It just always seemed like it was too much of a, uh, you know, 
Hollywood Del Toro cash grab to me because it seemed like like you know Del Toro is good at creepy. He's good at kind of horrorish elements, and then you have this Hollywood movie featuring Del Toro. And it's like that just sounds like it's you know pandering to an audience. It doesn't seem like it would be any good, and it completely blew me away. Yeah, dude. Like I feel like the the real MVP of this movie. And I know her performance ranges from understated to over the top, but the film calls for it. Jessica Chastain, she was great. In she this, plays man. the sister, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the entire time she has this like creepiness about her. Like even yeah. from the very start when you're first introduced to her, you're kind of just going, there's something wrong with her. And it just keeps going on from there. Uh the way she talks, the way she moves, she really gets into that character. And right. it's just unsettling. Every time she's on screen, you're just kind of like, I don't I don't like what's going to happen. There's going to be something happening like, and I, I don't, don't like uh, it. Right, like I don't I don't like this lady. Something's off with her. Yeah. And obviously there's a couple twists, there's a little bit of mystery to it, which I absolutely loved. And Yeah. I think my favorite part was the usage of the ghost. Like the ghost designs themselves were terrifying. They, they, there were a couple moments that, you know, got me with the jump scares and, uh, even like some of the visuals with it that got me like, Oh, that doesn't look right. Don't, don't do that. Make that part go away. (laughs) I, I wouldn't say the ghost design scared me, but I did appreciate the way they looked. Like I, I, well, I, I wouldn't say the ghost design scared me. It's more the right, right. tone not, of the ghost, like clown you. didn't feel right. You know, like yeah. there were a couple jump scares that got me in the movie, but yeah, yeah, unsettling. The ghost designs were very unsettling. Where you're just like, oh, I don't like that. That make that go away. <laughs> like the like one this, that's like missing its yeah. face, like it's the skeleton missing right. its face and it's all bloody and stuff and it's like oh that's just oh no the one that's rising up from the water yes from the bloody water yeah yeah that was yeah. a good scene a good shot it, it was definitely a good scene I, I love the designs that they use for the ghosts and i like that the ghosts weren't like trying to attack her it wasn't like a standard horror where the ghosts are trying to kill you no they were just trying to like get her to go in the right dire- direction to find out how much trouble she's actually in you know, I, they lead right. her to figuring out the mystery. I know I know. there's two sides to Del Toro, as we've said. There's the Hollywood mainstream side. There's there's the Pacific Rim Del Toro, and then there's the um, Pan's Labyrinth Crimson Peak Del Toro. My only thing is, when Del Toro wants to make a Crimson Peak-like film, give him, give him a Crimson Peak budget. Because you see what he can mm-hmm. do. You see what he did with this. And this is well-made, makes well use of, of its budget, and, and I'm going to be honest, man, the film is like kind of it is simple in its premise, but I feel like out of all the five films we've watched, this is my favorite one. OK, I can definitely see that, though. I, I can understand yeah. this one being a favorite. Uh, it, it's number two on my list easily. And okay. it just because, yeah, if you break it down, it's brother likes sister, sister likes brother, brother, sister, kill people to get money so they can survive. There's the plot. Simple. It's simple. <laughs> but it's kind of the mystery of learning their backgrounds. It's the mystery of kind of finding out like that she was being poisoned the entire time, that they'd done this multiple times with different women. Uh, right. Even Tom Hiddleston's character kind of like changing course a little bit and kind of falling for uh, Edith. 
What's her name? Um, I want to say Mia's character, the main character. Yeah. And me check. Yeah, Edith. Edith. Okay. Yeah, we're they're kind of he's actually falling for her, which was one of the rules that uh, his sister made that you know in these marriages you never fall in love and then at the end like trying to even save her and everything like that and then getting himself kind of killed i i love the idea that you know he kind of started to see the fault in their plan and started trying to get out of it and sacrificed himself to trying to save her in a way uh same with I can't remember the name of the dude that shows up near the end that was trying to get Edith out of there, but uh, uh, Charlie Hunnam, you know, he was the main guy at Pacific Rim too. Yeah, um, um, Alan McMichael was his Alan. Name. Yes, where like even in the scene with him and uh, her husband, it, it he still like fake killed him, kind of. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you kind of see a turn in his character a little bit. And um and it, it it it's a testament to the film as well because the whole time I'm thinking something's wrong with this guy and you, yeah. you think he's the one that killed her father when it turns out to be Jessica Chastain who did it, um you, so you, you show that he he really is a good person, you know. Yeah, he's uh, a again he's a good person that was on the wrong path and once he realizes his like previous ways and realizes his sister is definitely the one in the wrong, he tries to correct it and he pays the consequences, but he's okay with it. Like he even has that moment as a ghost kind of saying goodbye to Edith. Right. Yeah. He, um, again, speaks to character, you know, uh, Del Toro's always been good at character development. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this man. Um, another thing too, again, how I say he's a storyteller at heart, the main character, she's an author and aspiring author. That's right. And, you know, Cause yeah. she, which is one of the things that uh, he has in common with her is they've both kind of failed at the beginning of the movie. You know, she's trying to sell a book about ghosts or like a story about ghosts. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to get money for a mining kind of invention and they both fail and they kind of both have that kind of failure on set from the beginning and so they kind of have more of an understanding about each other and how they each feel in their career paths. So they do have a little bit of chemistry with them. It's not just boy meets girl, girl falls for boy, boy marries girl. You know, it, there's actually a little bit of connection there and there's reasoning behind them getting together or having that feeling at the onset of understanding each other, even though they just met. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, again, um, speaks to the character they they are good uh foils for each other not even foils um they they do make a good pair in this film and i i feel like the romance is not forced on us right the romance is definitely there you see a build you see where it falls and falters but you see where it works yeah overall man great film uh surprised me because i like you i was expecting this is going to be by the numbers, but it surprised me and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I can say that it it's definitely a high regarded Del Toro film in my mind now. Uh, second on this list by far. And, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that Del Toro made a kaiju movie, this would probably be the top of my list for Del Toro. I got you. All right, man. 
All right, let's round them up. Let's round them up. We so you you want to put Blade Two in there? Yeah, we can throw Blade Two in there. So okay. I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak. Then I gotta throw Hellboy in there. Blade Two, Hellboy, Golden Army, and then Mimic. Yeah. Mimics on everybody's list. It's on both of our last list. It's, 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 <laughs> is that it's, the it's, point zero for both of us? Is that's that's number six for, for both of us? No, no question. Uh, number one, um, Crimson Peak. Number two, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Blade Two for number two. Um, I got Hellboy Two is three. I got Hellboy is four. And I got Pacific Rim as five. Ooh. And Mimic is six. I know, I know. It's just those films kind of struck a chord with me more than Pacific Rim did. Okay. Still putting Pacific Rim right next to Mimic. Man. <laughs> well, 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 listen, I, it's a better film than Mimic, all right? <laughs> now, listen, because that's the thing. Um, excluding Mimic, these five films, none of them were bad, they're all good. We're right. just talking about which ones we like the most out of all of them. That's true. This is basically a personal preference list at that point. We just both agree right. that Mimic was not the top of the list. <laughs> at all. Yeah. At, Nowhere at near. It, uh, if there was another movie we could throw let's in just, here, Mimic would just keep going down. <laughs> let's just take a swing, put three random movies in between, put four random movies in between and make it ten. Let's yeah. just make mimic number ten. Yeah, let's do Here, that. Let's see, uh, Garfield: A Tale of Two Kitties. We can throw that in there. Uh, right, the Room. Right. We can throw that in there, and we'll put Troll Two in there. Troll Two in there, and uh, there we go. Mimic is now number ten. Doesn't matter where go. those other three fall in. Mimic is still number ten. Okay, so we got Garfield: A Tale of Two Kitties is six. We got uh, The Room is seven. We got Troll Two is eight. We need something for nine, so oh. Mimic can be ten. Um, trying to think. Uh, of uh, Holmes and Watson for nine. And oh, I perfect. Holmes. And, yep, the one with John C. Yeah. Riley and uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah. Yep. There you go, folks. We did a. We talked about Guillermo del Toro. Uh, we referenced four other random movies that got nothing <laughs> to do with this list. Just so we can put Mimic at number ten. That's how we do it here on Double Feature. <laughs> When we hate a movie so bad, we just bring up four completely unrelated movies to add gotta, to a list. We got to bring in proxies to move it down further, further the list. That's going to be our new thing to bring in proxy movies to be like, yeah, we got to put this number lower. See, the question is, at what point do we bring Mimic in to bring another movie lower? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That, that would have to be a really, a really bad, a really bad one in the batch of films. <laughs> So, but yeah. yeah, I didn't like that movie, man. I did not like that movie. I, I sludged through it. I liked it for the cheesy horrorness of it, but that was that's its saving grace. It, it had some scenes I liked. It, you know, I, I loved kind of some of the way that it presented itself, like that subway scene. I still love that scene, and but I don't love it in like a oh this was a good movie moment. I loved it in a, this is classic '90s horror, and it shows. <laughs> It has, it, yeah, it has some charm that tried to come off as charming, but just came off as 
me checking my phone like all right how, how much longer do i have for this movie yeah. <laughs> this out this movie is two hours long huh so i still got an hour and 58 minutes of this bullshit <laughs> that movie could have been 90 minutes at best i think like, you could have toned that down to a 45 minute movie without losing anything right and it, it, if it was toned down to 40 minutes taking out all the bullshit i feel i felt would i would have been like all right this is this is solid it would have been a good short movie <laughs> Yeah, it's solid. But uh yeah, man. Yeah, I that was a studio made film, not a filmmaker made movie. Not at all. But that sums up Del Toro's Hollywood career. Uh I don't think yeah. there's anything else to say about his Hollywood career. I think we pretty much covered everything and he It's been he a great career. Yeah, he definitely even though his movies are Hollywooded, he still does good work with a good premise. Uh, it, giving him a budget shows that it can work, and obviously when he does something that's not Hollywooded up, it it works even better when, you know, at some point in the future we'll have to go through his kind of more, oh, yeah. you know, underground movies, I guess, his non-Hollywood video or movies. Uh, independent, yeah. The other side of the yeah. game is, you know, Kronos, Devil's Backbone, the, the, the goat of del toro films pan's labyrinth yes uh and shape of water and and possibly the pinocchio depending on how i guess that one no that one's not so much that's that's netflix produced i guess it could be mainstream but it's not going based off the pinocchio that everybody knows it's going based on the books okay so i can see it kind of it might have started as an independent, but I have a feeling, yeah, it's probably going to be Hollywooded up now that it's on Netflix. Right, right. Which, again, ain't a bad thing. Del Toro, you know, you can't, you cannot go bad with this guy. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, man. So any films you've watched lately besides these five? No, these were the films I took part in this week. Uh, didn't really Same. watch anything else. Uh, played a lot of the new game Fall Guys. <laughs> That's where my time outside of Del Toro movies went. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm um I'm planning on bringing up um uh, my mom. Some time ago for my last birthday, she went and surprised me and bought me a um outdoor projector, like uh kind of similar to like you know what you see at the drive that the drive through the drive ins. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to set that bad boy up today, invite my parents and my soon-to-be in-laws, and we're going to watch The Dark Knight. Oh, perfect movie for that. Yeah, man. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. I haven't really um, broke it out yet. Well, I have broke it out, and we were going to watch Hamilton on it for the first time, but then mosquitoes kept biting us up. So now we have tiki sticks, so we're more prepared, <laughs> and uh, we're going to we're gonna do a round two here. Um should be good, man. Um, I'm excited to see how it looks on there, how, how it sounds. Uh, it's, 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 it looks very nice. And now I, now I hear that they've sold out because everybody wants to do a movie night their own place since, you know, we're not going to the theaters. And let's – you want to touch on this for a moment? Um, dude, I'm really upset that I I cannot see Tenet anytime soon because of this horrid thing called uh, covid yeah, it's especially since theaters are starting to try and open up again now, and it's like yeah, it, I, we stand no chance of getting that one. I mean, even if it came to uh, what is it, video on demand, I have a hard time yeah. kind of thinking I'd watch it that way. I'd probably still try and wait and then fail to wait to see it in theaters. 
I would be resistant uh, if it came on video. On it would be hard. Trust me, I'm a Chris Nolan fan. It would be hard, but I would be resistant to video on demand. Like, nah, man, I gotta watch this in the theater. Um, oh, see, and, I'd and probably break after about two weeks of other people talking about it that watch it on video on demand. They're, all, they're already talking about it, critics. Um, I hear you though. I hear you. Uh, I, I would try to wait it out, but I, I probably would break as well. Um, and it's a catch 22, man. It's like, all right, you go to the theater, you see this movie, but you also kind of risking your health. Yeah. You know? It's not worth it to me to go see a movie. Uh, cause it's right. not only my health, but it's the health of the, everybody else that's around me as well. You know, yeah, or- it's, it's kind of a selfish thing to be like, but I really want to see this movie. Right, or you you stay home and watch it from your uh your big screen TV or your big screen projector and be like, yeah, but this ain't the same thing, you yeah. know. This isn't the way Nolan intended for me to watch this. Um, like I have a I, really good setup here, but even when I watch Dunkirk, it's like this isn't the same as in the theater. This deserves I, a theater. I, it's not, you know. Like I I I could see myself, I could see myself going to the drive-in to see it. But it's not the same thing because I'm right. watching it through my car windshield or even if I sit outside, you know, I'm, I'm, it's still not the same thing. Right. Yeah, it's it's a it's one of those situations I don't like, but still it is uh, what it is. I, I'm excited to finally see New Mutants when that hits video on demand in a week. Because I, I don't it, know if it's. It's starting out in theaters. It's not. I don't think it's going straight to video on demand. No, like it's th- going to be in theaters for a couple days, and I think after it's been in theaters for a couple days, it goes to video on demand. Because I want to say theaters is the twenty sixth, and I want to say the twenty eighth or the 29th is when it hits video on demand. Don't quote me on that one. I I, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> okay, I think to play it safe. I think to play it safe. Um, I might have to see Tenant at the drive-in. I'm not happy about it, but <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to have to do, man. Do you I'm know a drive-in going... that's actually going to be showing it, though? I don't, but I, I assume Ford and Wyoming will pick it up in Dearborn, Michigan. I, I assume they'll pick it up. They got unhinged right now, which uh the funniest thing ever I saw today. I was on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not the funniest thing ever, but it's funny. They said, uh, the new Russell Crowe thriller, Unhinged. The number one movie in the world. I'm like, wow. I wonder why. <laughs> not many things. Not many things. The theater right now. Yeah. Number one movie playing in theaters currently. Oh, out of what? The whole one of them. Right. The number one movie in the world. Russell Crowe unhinged. The number one only movie in the world yeah. <laughs> is Russell Crowe unhinged. Hey, it's still first place, even though there's only one contestant. Right. Right. And, you know, not to shit on Russell Crowe, great actor, but, you know, we know if that movie was going against Tenet it would, it, or New Mutants, it wouldn't have a chance. I don't there know. It might still chance. have a chance against New Mutants. <laughs> Let's be honest. Really? I thought you, uh, it's a comic book movie. Oh, I'm Everyone 100% excited for, for it, but I know that it's not going to be good. Oh, well, being good and, and selling out tickets are two different things, my friend. Oh, that's true. Lion King is still like number one bestseller, the live action one. Yeah, and you know, um, I didn't hate it, but Captain Marvel so like almost made a billion dollars, and that movie was just okay. Yeah, you know, 
so yeah, it being good and selling a lot of money, two different things. See, I still don't think that New Mutants is, would do well for a theatrical release. I think it's going to do much better with a video on demand release because there's so many people that were just skeptical about it from the get go. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, we'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but I think it's time to wrap up this episode. <laughs> all right, cool. So you want to do a uh, walk hard and uh, spinal tap, and what, what was the other one? Uh, pop star never stop, or never stop, never stopping. <laughs> all right, man. Three films I never seen before. You want to go? You want to hop into those? Let's do it. All right, sounds good. Uh, all right. All right, y'all. It's been another episode of uh, Quarantino uh, Double Feature. Uh, We appreciate y'all. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, We'll see you on the next one.